Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Tech News Today for Wednesday, April 13th, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by MailRoute.info. MailRoute is a secure hosted service that provides enterprise-grade virus and spam filtering to companies of any size. Try right now, absolutely free, at MailRoute.info. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Tom Merritt. I'm Sarah Lane. I'm Aya Zaktar. I'm Jason Howell. This is the show where we kick around the tech news of the day along with y'all, trying to make some sense of it. Joining us for the show is Mr. Neelai Patel of a yet-to-be-named gadget website. Hey, well, no, this is my next podcast. You can come visit us there. Okay, that's right. Whatever. This is my next podcast.com is, is the one named thing. Yes, but it's, it's not the final name. It's no. just kind of where we're hanging out. It's a beta. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, you can still find the old gang there. Who else on that show? You've got a cast of thousands of shows. Well, so it's me, Josh, and Paul from the old Engadget podcast. We're doing our new show there. And then, uh, you know, Chris Sigler, Joanna Stern, uh, Ross Miller are, came along with us. And, you know, we're planning on having all kinds of other guests uh, as we go along. So it'll be fun. It'll be, it's, it'll be the same but different, you know? Yeah. Well, th- I'm looking forward to it. And thanks for joining us today. Uh, let's start off with some news out of Mix in Las Vegas. Uh, Microsoft's Joe Belfiore went on stage and immediately apologized. They started talking about the fact that, yeah, we know that the carriers have not been delivering the updates for Windows Phone like we said we were supposed to have one in January, and we're sorry about that. Uh, but then he uh, went into some more positive uh, developments and announced some developer uh, revolutions, uh, some developer features for Mango, which will be the next major Windows Phone 7 release. There's going to be some sort of SSL update between now and fall. But he said sometime by the end of the year, sometime in fall, we will get Mango uh, cut and paste scheduled. Uh, our, our, uh, Mango will update with multitasking. Uh, you'll have IE9 in there. And uh, they're they're giving the developers a lot more control over the accelerometer, over the cameras, giving them direct control so that they can uh, they can make some better apps uh, and take advantage of those live tiles a little better as well. Uh, Shouldn't they be bundling in IE ten? <laughs> yeah, they announced IE ten at Mix. Yeah, like well, considering IE ten <laughs> runs on ARM and most of these these phones do, I guess they have a chance to do it. But uh, it's kind of interesting to see this guy go up there and go. Sorry. We're well, I mean, I, I don't think he has a choice. Well, he kind of he kind of blamed AT and T. I mean, he was like, you know, we had an update, it didn't go so well. AT and T was pretty slow, and AT and T is their feature partner in the states. Well, so that's a, that's a popular position to do if you're running some kind of phone OS to kick AT and T. I've seen this <laughs> somewhere before. Mm-hmm. Turtleneck fellow. Well, now that that brings up the question, right? All of this stuff is great. Mango, we should have now. I mean, Windows, Microsoft needs. Uh, Paul Thorat says this on Windows Weekly all the time. Microsoft needs to iterate Windows Phone faster. They're behind, and they're iterating it slower. Uh, but one of the reasons is because they want to get it right, which is a good reason. But another reason is it takes so damn long for the carriers. The cut-and-paste update isn't even out for AT&T yet, even though it's officially out. How is Apple able to do that, where they can get their firmware on the phone through AT&T here in the United States without any kind of delay, but Microsoft can't? Is that just simply because they have the full solution of iTunes plus the phone? Because does Windows Phone have to sync with anything at all, or can you just buy the phone and just no, use Windows it as a phone? No, Windows Phone, it, it syncs with Zoom, right? right. But 
that's like one layer. I mean, so Microsoft sells the software, licenses the software to Samsung, who then sells the device to AT&T. So there's a lot of middlemen between Microsoft and the consumer. Um, and I think that's kind of a big holdup. Um, if you look at the updates they have tried to push out, they had big problems with them already. You know, the first update was just an update to get ready for more updates. Uh, and it had problems on Samsung devices. So I think they're very gun-shy. They don't want to screw up their consumer relationships any more than they already have. Um, and I think there's a, a caution on Microsoft's part, and that's buffered even more so by the fact they have to go through their manufacturers who then have to go through the carriers. And you have to think that they know to be faster and they know there's an urgency here, but they are being much more, they don't want to get in a situation where every Windows phone update, you know, the media is like ready for problems, right? They're ready to report on Windows phone update problems because it's part of the narrative. And I I think they want to make sure the next one is flawless. They're getting angry birds. Yeah. (laughs) That's That's exciting. That's positive, right? It's funny. It's like angry birds is, seems to be like the bundled in good news. By the way, not everything is wrong. Angry birds. Oh, they're getting, they're getting Skype too. That's true. My DVD player runs angry birds now, but you know, like they're getting Skype. They're doing some other stuff. You know, this update is kind of the, the update that makes Windows phone competitive. Like not super competitive yet on a feature level or apps level, but on the, this is what you need a modern, modern operating system to do. It has to multitask. We're finally going to take advantage of live tiles. Uh, and so they got to get it out. Um, and, you know, these apps, Angry Birds, Skype, these are like must-have table stakes apps. If you don't have Angry Birds, you're not, I mean, you're not competitive. <laughs> you're with, nobody like, right? if you don't have Angry Birds. It's funny, though, when you go to Microsoft's Where Is My Phone update page, which, I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to be as transparent as possible and make sure that you have as few questions as, uh, as necessary but you look at the um, delivering slash not applicable slash testing phase for a variety of different phones. And it, I mean, I'm not surprised that consumers are just have kind of had it. But Angry Birds is coming May 25th. Oh, right. Yes. Well, that makes everything better. <laughs> I don't really need cut and paste well, if I have Angry Birds. That, uh, that's a really good point. The cut, cut and paste has been ready since January. Mm-hmm. And it was re- released over a month ago. And yes. AT&T phones still don't have it. Mango, as you say, Neelai, is is got the features that you need to have in a modern OS right now in April 2011. When this is released, it's going to be fall at the earliest, mm-hmm. 2011. And then when is it going to show up on an AT&T phone? They're going to be, they, they may be, you know, over a year behind at that point or almost a year behind. Right. Doesn't that mean they're kind of doomed the way the Zune was? I mean, the Zune was really cool and it was great, an awesome machine for five years ago. So do you just think that Windows Phone 7 is going to drop out? I mean, I would think they have the right partnerships that could probably sustain this kind of mess with Nokia. And if they get on Verizon to any big degree, I think eventually they could probably get, gain some traction because people are comfortable with Windows. I mean, that sounds a little nuts, but they are comfortable with it. And it is a different user experience compared to Android, which kind of looks like iOS. Everything kind of looks the same. And Windows Phone 7 does look a little interesting compared to the other two. I think they're banking on, they want to get these, uh, the true multitasking in there. Uh, you know, they have multitasking for their own apps, but not for developer apps. They want, to, they want to get these features in there. They haven't actually announced all of the front-facing features, the UI features that consumers will be concerned with. These are just the developer features. So there's more to come on Mango, and I think they want to make a big splash for the holiday season. Uh, they're hoping that, that they can make Windows Phone look really attractive. They'll probably come out with their first Nokia device by the end of this year. At least that's what Stephen Elop is really pushing for, is to have at least one Nokia phone with Windows Phone 7 on it. It would probably be a Mango phone. I think they have to do that 
to right. stay and, you know, in the, race. The, the easiest way to get new software on a carrier, as sad as this is, is to put out a new round of devices. Yeah, right. Right. Um, and so if you think they're going to make a big holiday push, they're going to put out Mango in, in the fall time frame. They'll probably put out some maybe dual core phones or something like that. Uh, there you go. There's a new software with all the new features. Uh, and everybody with the old phones is kind of left out in the cold. Uh, and hopefully it doesn't come to that. But it, that, we, we've seen that play out with, you know, with Android devices even quite a lot. Now, we've been covering the uh, National Association of Broadcasters Conference in Las Vegas, going on at the same time as Mix right across town. Uh, big announcement last night at, uh, the, uh, at, a, at a super user meetup. Apple announced Final Cut Pro 10. How long has it been since they, they had a last Final Cut? I think it was 2009. 2009 sounds right, right yeah. yeah. Uh, so this was a huge deal. Uh, and, and basically, it will be available in June via the Mac App Store. For two hundred ninety nine dollars, three hundred bucks for Final Cut is awesome. Redonkulous. Yeah, I well, mean, even, even, even if we, yeah, right, because you used to pay a thousand dollars to get Final Cut Pro and soundtrack and color and all the other stuff. They have not announced motion, details on Final Cut Studio, which is the one that has Motion and Soundtrack Pro and all of that. But stuff. you, but you know, a lot of people don't need that stuff. Like, I'm happy to pay three hundred bucks and just get Final Cut. Like. Mm-hmm. That, that I am too, Neil. I, I that's um, at Twit. I mean, we we use the suite um, in all our editing workstations. I never use anything beyond Final Cut, but Final Cut Express, which of course is the more cost-effective solution for Final Cut users, isn't quite feature-rich enough for me. So I need Final Cut Pro, the actual uh, the the full version of the software. Three hundred dollars for Final Cut Pro. Um, which is, I mean, $300 for Final Cut Pro of the version that I'm using now would have been a great savings. But this is right. a better version of Final Cut. And Express was like 199 right? It was something like, it wasn't cheap, like super, it wasn't like 50 exactly. bucks or something. Exactly. Yeah, and we um, may be burying the lead here. I mean, Final Cut Pro Ten is a whole new interface. It can yes. do a lot of things that Final Cut couldn't. Handles up to 4K resolution. Uh, it, uh, it gets rid of a lot of the rendering problems, so you don't have to sit there and wait for it to render between edits. Uh, even when you're transferring media, you can start editing immediately. Uh, fully 64-bit compatible. It's a finally mm-hmm. fully. Say they they're like we're not we're going to support OS nine anymore in Final Cut. <laughs> we're making uh, it 64-bit. They're doing image stabilization. On import which makes shooting with like a DSLR like a 5D or a 7D um, They put like a lot a of thought too into audio channels, uh, audio tracks um, Good. For, yeah. I know, it's like anybody who edits is like oh thank you, because there's a lot of room uh, in that department for improvement but yeah, I mean it looks like a better version of Final Cut and for anybody who's using Final Cut regularly the more, um, and especially because this obviously, this price margin puts it into the hands of a lot more people. I mean, we keep talking about companies who are lowering the prices of very uh, professional, feature-rich software that um, has been in the past cost prohibitive for a lot of people. So this is, um, all of a sudden, a lot of more people are going to have their hands on Final Cut and they're going to need to be learning how it works. Anybody who's played around with Final Cut knows it's not always very intuitive. So the more intuitive they can make it, um, the better. And it sounds like that's what they're doing. I think it actually brings up a lot of questions because the UI is totally, not totally different. It's been revised a bit. It actually looks a little bit more like iMovie compared to Final Cut. And if you've used Final Cut, you have this kind of, you know, you're familiar with it. It's really ugly. It's not one of these pretty user experiences, but you're doing your work on it. And I'm really wondering if they've dumbed down anything so that you don't have the same kind of controls. I'm really hoping that they have kept all the professional controls there because I haven't seen this thing in action. On top of that, at at two ninety nine, will they kill Final Cut Express? Because there's really no reason to have a one ninety nine price point anymore. Uh, but I'm also 
just happy to the, with the idea that I can just download this on the app store. Mm-hmm. I don't have to keep finding my DVDs because Final Cut Studio Pro is like a Final Cut Pro Studio. It's like a five CD installation yeah. process. And yes. that's a real pain. You get your five licenses, you just hit the little button and install. And for me, that's a lot easier because I keep moving every like. You month. know, I read uh, an interview with uh, Randy Ubilos, who's the the product manager for Final Cut, and they asked him, "Is this is this just iMovie Pro?" Uh, and his response was, we made a professional product for pro- professional users. I mean, they're number one in this space for mm-hmm. pro video editing. I, I don't think they're going to risk it on, you know, check out our ridiculous iMovie timeline that we're enforcing on pro users. Uh, and if they do, they clearly have no idea what they're doing. You know, they no, they actually I, did something very similar to this uh, when they picked up Logic years ago. And the interface, I mean, Logic is still just as powerful. It's an audio, you know, the, their professional audio suite is just as powerful as it ever was. It was just a lot uglier. And the interface needed a lot of work. And they came in, they made changes. People were worried about it. Ultimately, it didn't matter. It still is very powerful. I think it's the same thing here. Yeah, th- this sounds like it, it is a professional suite that they have yeah. not dumbed it down. Uh, automatically scales CPU intensive tasks to fully fully utilize multi-core processors, uh, offloading certain tasks to the GPUs, offering a major performance boost, uh, even doing some some uh, frame recognition so they can tell which shots are close, which are medium, which are wide, uh, and, and collect those clips together so it's easier to pick those things out and drag them into the timeline. And like you say, they, they, they've uh, redone the interface so that hopefully it's more intuitive. I think you're right. I think a lot of people are going to be like you, IS. They're going to say, who cares about Final Cut Express, whether it's gone or not? Two ninety nine. I can get the real thing, and I can download it from the App Store. And now we see one of the first <laughs> brilliances of the Mac App Store is I don't have to order it online. I can just download freaking Final Cut. With a, you know, it's almost too easy to and spend three hundred. At three hundred dollars, you know. uh, don't you also run into the issue of competitors? Are they going to have to bring their prices down? Is Premiere going to be cheaper, or there, is there, I guess, Premiere Elements? Is that going to get more advanced? I mean, I really want to see. I was talking about this with uh, Chad Mum, who is a produces the Engadget Show. He's a good friend, and um, you know, it's funny because you know Apple makes its money from selling hardware. They sell phones and they sell Macs, and that's fifty percent, right, each. And their software sales are. They're way down in the chart. You know, they don't really make it a blip. And so they can afford to cut the price on something like Final Cut Pro to drive Mac sales, to drive Mac Pro sales, which are, you know, hugely lucrative and have huge margins. And Adobe can't do that. You know, Avid can't do that. So Apple's able to put incredible price pressure uh, on its competitors in markets where it's not banking on that revenue, right? I mean, if Final Cut goes away for Apple tomorrow, they'll be fine. They'll still sell Macs. But Final Cut drives the sales of Macs, so they can be like, we're going to lower the price of this. You know, we'll make a little bit of profit on it, but we'll make the big profit on Mac Pro sales and uh, and, and display sales. And I, that's really powerful for Apple. And that, that kind of sucks for Adobe and Avid in like a big way. Well, it also kind of sucks for anybody who, as I, as you were saying, well, gee, I hope it's not too dumbed down or too different because we're already Final Cut Pro users. I mean, what's our other choice, right? We're not going to jump over to Premiere and like learn a whole new system that costs twice as much either. We're sort of forced to adapt or to use a, an older version of Final Cut. I'm just thinking if, if Adobe wants to actually operate in the same space, if they actually want to be in the Mac App Store, well, they got to pay 30%. I mean, you can obviously do the download on the web and everything, but Apple's got this nice built-in here, easy delivery system with their operating system. Can, it's can really, you download Premiere on the web right now? I think you can, you can download a trial. i got to double-check. But I know a lot of Adobe I'm products. Sh- I'm pretty sure you can. Yeah, most, I, most if not all, of the Adobe products are downloadable through their site. And you can usually get a trial you know, to start off but with. But so. can you get the whole thing like as a package that you download, I guess is my question? I yeah, it looks so. like you can. 
I always, I always buy Adobe CS and like physical media, so I have, I have discs. I haven't really tried to download it. Well, and that's what's interesting too. I'll be interesting to see what they do with price point for Final Cut Studio with motion and color and all of that, and and whether it's also available in the app store or if that one's something you got to order online or go into the store and grab uh because you think people want to have those discs they want to have that backed up uh and they're probably going to want to make a little more money off of the professionals who need that full studio whereas somebody like me if i really want to edit something i got plenty of people with final cut machines around me there's no reason for me to buy it but at 300 dollars in the app store it's you know i probably won't but it does become more tempting for me to go well Maybe I could just have it on my machine. That way it's there, uh, where I never would have considered that when I had to go online and buy it at, at, a, at a higher price. My guess is that the other uh, studio uh, software programs will also be offered in the App Store, but separately. Yeah. Another $49 yeah. for motion. You'll have to buy each one yeah. of them. Yeah. They'll, they'll probably offer a physical box that's studio that has it all together at a, at, a, at a reduced price, or you can go to the App Store and buy each one individually at a higher price. Exactly. That makes sense. All right, let's get uh, on to the next story about Stephen Levy's book, In the Plex, uh, based on his two years of research at the company. And uh, he says that Steve Jobs was so furious when he saw Android's pinch-to-zoom features during a trip to Google headquarters, he hid the iPad development from Google CEO Eric Schmidt, even though Schmidt was on the board of directors of Apple at the time. Uh, This... You know, we we actually talked about this on This Week in Google, whether this was an attempt uh, to drum up some interest in the book in the Plex, uh, or if there's, you know, or if this is really how it went down. Neil, you, you wrote up a, an interesting analysis of this on your blog today. Yeah, you know, um, I've been reading in the Plex. It's really good. If you're interested in Google, you should, you should grab it. Um, you know, he has any book that's written with that kind of access is usually has some interesting tidbits in it. Um, but this story about Apple, I mean, it's, you know, it's like two pages long in the book, and the book is several hundred pages long. So it really does feel like it was released as part of the publicity of the book. Um, and particularly the stuff with Android and pinch to zoom um, and features. You know, when Android was first being developed, the first prototypes of it, uh, they looked like a BlackBerry, right? And that's, you know, and Andy Rubin came from Sidekick and you can see how he would develop sort of a, a more Windows mobile BlackBerry kind of device as his first go. Um, and it wasn't until the iPhone came out that we started seeing Android prototypes that looked like the iPhone. Um, and so you have to wonder, you know, it has this timeline sort of been artificially compressed. You know, I, I really doubt that the very first version of Android that Steve Jobs saw had pinched to zoom and worked like an iPhone. It doesn't seem to make any sense because, you know, the G1 came out, it didn't have any support for multi-touch at all, just zero. Uh, and Google said, maybe we'll add it down the road. Uh, and then the, the Droid 2 came out and it had the frameworks for multi-touch uh, or not the Droid 2. The Droid with Android 2.0 came out. It had the frameworks for multi-touch, but did not have pinch-to-zoom in the United States. And Motorola shipped it as the milestone in Europe and added pinch-to-zoom sort of selectively in the browser. Uh, and then the Nexus 1 came out and still didn't have pinch-to-zoom. And so by then, the dominant thread was that Apple has a patent on pinch-to-zoom and gestures and Google is scared. But that doesn't even make any sense because... You know, Microsoft was shipping Surface computers. HP was shipping, uh, you know, all-in-ones that were touchscreens. And then in February 2010, Pitch to Zoom came to Android. And yeah, and then it came, and then you know, last year it came to Android, and now every device has it. Uh, and you know, I can I'm looking at the patents. You know, the, when Apple sues HTC or Motorola sues Apple back, you can look at the patents they're claiming, and none of them seem to directly cover this gesture that's been around forever. So this story about Steve Jobs going to the Googleplex 
and seeing pinch to zoo on an Android device and saying, oh, my God, you know, this act of betrayal is so deep. Uh, it seems like it's a narrative that's sexy. Um, it's probably some version yeah. of the truth. Boy, what a but, sexy story. Right, but I don't, <laughs> Can't think I don't of see anything him like, shaking his fist at Sergey Brin and being like, you were my son. You know, like, I just don't see it. I, will um, pinch I think people just you. like the idea of Steve Jobs, you know, the idea of, He's, he kept the iPad a secret from the people at Google. He was so furious that they loved right. the idea of pinch to zoom because it's a really good feature on a touch screen. I mean, it's I mean, like... But, but, you know, the thing with the iPad is that it really just, you know, runs iOS. And they were forking iOS to run a new class of devices. And Eric Schmidt was at Apple on the board already recusing himself from iPhone-related board meetings. Well, and right? no wonder so, they would hide iPad from, from Eric Schmidt when they're like, hey, you guys are getting into the same businesses as us. You know, it's been great working with you. And if but- you think, you know, Google had done Chrome OS, they touch on this briefly, or uh, Stephen Levy touches on this briefly in the book as well, that they, you know, Google had done Chrome OS, which competes with Safari and is built on WebKit. Uh, you know, they were going to, there's, from the very beginning, there was talk of, of uh, um, like Chrome actual hardware that ran Chrome OS. You know, there's like, this whole like he hid the iPad as an act of retribution. I think it's it's a conflated story, and I think the real story of what Apple has in terms of IP on multi-touch and gestures, and what's valid, and what other companies can do, and what other companies are willing to risk in terms of liability. That story is going to be foggy for years and years until some of these lawsuits either settle or go in front of a judge or, uh, you know, somebody just starts talking. And right now, nobody is talking. You know, it sounds you, like it, uh, the, the takeaway from this is that In the Plex is a great book, and this is probably one of the less interesting parts of it. You know, it's, it's an interesting part. It's a, you know, it's a Steve Jobs and Google story. So it's interesting for, you know, the narrative. But it's in the Plex is more interesting because it's a book about how Google started, what they want to do, and how they've built a company around that vision. And if you're interested in that, you should go read it because that stuff is fascinating. Whether or not Steve Jobs is mad at Eric Schmidt is like, these are two huge companies. I don't, I don't think either executive really believes that their emotions should guide their business decisions at that level anymore. All right, we're going to take a, a quick break. When we come back, uh, Motorola is the top brand. We'll tell you why they are more popular than Apple, or at least we'll speculate. Libyans are, are also putting together their own rebel mobile phone company in Libya. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but first, I want to tell you about MailRoute. The ability to get rid of spam is at your hands. MailRoute.info. I use it on uh, my subbrilliant.com email addresses because it does it. It, it takes away spam. I mean, these, these were the most spam-filled email addresses I owned, and they are usable Again, because Mail Routes Tom Johnson has figured out a, an algorithm that identifies the good stuff, it sends it back along to you, and takes the bad stuff and dumps it in a, a vault where you can look at it, make sure there were no false positives. I haven't seen one yet. Check it out, MailRoute.info. Small business accounts start at $2 per user per month for 10 users. And because of demand from Twit, MailRoute has added a new service for individual users as well. Less than $30 per user per year for single users. Uh, If you want to implement MailRoute, you just need to know how to edit an MMX record or have somebody do it for you. And then you can be free of spam on your domain. Visit MailRoute.info and sign up with the email filtering that I use. Let's go to this brand survey. Okay, so... These kinds of things always are a little vague because they they don't tell you exactly how they do them. But Harris Interactive, Equitrend, uh, operated a poll where they surveyed people and asked them about the brands they use and what they think about them. And mobile brand of the year goes to Motorola. 
they say that Motorola satisfies a much wider audience than other uh, competitors. Number two, HTC. Number three, Sony Ericsson. Number four, Nokia. Somebody missing? Yeah. Microsoft. No, wait. Number five, Apple. Oh, five? That's not right. How could they possibly be so far down? The poll was conducted over two weeks in January uh, with 25,099 consumers age 15 and older in the sample. Covered all mobile phones, not just smartphones. So that may be one of the keys here. I was just trying to think. HTC does make a ton of different phones uh, uh, and lower uh, priced phones. It's, of course, Motorola also still has like old razors sitting around that they sit, that give away for free. So I mean, everybody's got access to that. I would assume that this is not really talking about the Zoom, like being so awesome that it dethroned everything. No, it's probably the but it's razor. Probably, it's probably these little cheap phones. Yeah. Uh, uh, what is what is this metric? I mean, I'm seeing numbers here from. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, I'm off camera because I'm peering at these numbers. Uh, Fifty six to sixty five. That's that's the number of brandness, <laughs> as far as I can tell. I'm just tell. curious as to what, what no, that if, is. If you click through to Harris Interactive, uh, it doesn't become any more clear no. uh, as, as far as the press release. I imagine if you actually buy the study, then then you'd get something. But it's some kind of index number that they come to by, by giving you, again, they give you a survey. And then they, they have some metrics, some proprietary metrics that they run. Uh, each respondent was asked to rate a total of 60 randomly selected brands. Each brand received approximately 1,000 ratings. Data were weighted to be representative of the entire U.S. population. Uh, so, you know, they, they take all that and they put it together and they come up with this number. Uh, and the number right. is their is their rating number. You know what I, uh, Ayaz and I were both talking earlier saying, you know, it's important to remember that not everybody has a smartphone. And yes, of course, that factors into it. And, and it's easy to be sort of inside the Silicon Valley bubble and, and, and forget that. One of the interesting things about this particular survey is that uh, the survey goes down to people as young as 15. Okay, well, if you're a 15-year-old... I remember when I was, well, not 15, but 16, you know, I got like the hand-me-down car, which was like the crappy car of my family type thing. It's like that might also be factoring into this as well, that um, feature phones uh, for somebody who you know, was in college and the parents go, okay, you got to have a phone, but it's going to be like the lamest phone possible, the cheapest phone yep. with the least amount of minutes, only use it when you're in an emergency. That's probably factoring into this as well. And younger folks uh, probably use an iPod Touch. Mm-hmm. for their smartphone type of capabilities. And then you're right, some some very you know inexpensive, probably free with your family plan phone uh, that's likely from Motorola or Nokia or somebody like that. Uh, any uh, conspiracy theories because these, these graphs are in Android green? Do ah. you think? Well, no, actually, and this graph is like super crazy because Motorola has 64.4 uh, and the graph makes it look like that it's is double, the most... 60.6. Double yeah. 60.6. You know, yeah, the scale's a little weird. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, the, the graph is not to scale. Also, uh, there's nothing on the axes. They also did rate uh, mobile networks. Verizon, one out there. AT&T, number two. Clearwire, number three. Sprint, number four. And Virgin okay, Mobile, wait, wait, number wait. five. Clearwire is number three. Yeah. Over, over real companies. Over Sprint. <laughs> I mean, like, Which, I, think you can, I think we can let this go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. I, Thanks for playing. I'm not sure on. that you can find how many people. It's like 25,000 people. I'm not sure you can find 25,000 people in America who know what Clearwire is. <laughs> Uh, to, You'd be surprised down in, in places like Atlanta where they launched uh, a really aggressive WiMAX a while back. There, there's some enthusiasts for it, but I think you're right. I don't know that it penetrates. I'm right. skeptical, if, anyway, that it penetrates. Uh, but if you went up Paris to my mom, like, do you know what clear wire is? And she'd be like, is that a wire that's clear? I mean, that's like a wire you can see through, of course. Uh, <laughs> there is a new mobile phone company in Libya 
uh, thanks to the rebels in Benghazi. They have hacked together uh, a new cell phone network that takes advantage of Libyan Mobile because Libyan Mobile is the only mobile telephone company in Libya, and it's run out of Tripoli, and it's under Muammar Gaddafi, Colonel Muammar Gaddafi's uh, control. This is what they did. They got uh, wealthy folks in Qatar and the United Arab Emirates to buy expensive machinery for them uh, that they needed to build their own wireless communications network. They transported the equipment along with some engineers and, of course, bodyguards through Egypt to the Libyan border, didn't get caught, uh, then stole a bunch of numbers from the Libyan General Telecommunications Agency, that existing the existing network, plugged the new equipment into Gaddafi's network, routed it around the central node in Tripoli. They only had one central node, uh, and then hit up the United Arab Emirates for a satellite feed uh, to take free Libyana online and then started developing pricing plans. They're all prepaid, by the way. And all in all, I mean, the local calls are free. The titles seem like, oh, rebels have taken over and hijacked the, the cell phone uh, system in, in Libya. But it, it's way more complicated than just like, oh, we've you know, taken these things out of the air. This, this required quite the uh, a, a lot of money to just do this. It's not like this simple. And it's the brainchild of a telecom exec from Alabama named Usama Abu Shagar, a Libyan-American. Uh, he had been living in Abu Dhabi, and he teamed up with a couple friends, sketched out on the back of a napkin what they needed, uh, got the equipment, negotiated it, got it into the country, and pirate cell phone network. Look, here's what I need to know. Do they have the iPhone? Because <laughs> otherwise, I don't know. Are they well, GSM or CDMA? Otherwise, I'm going to stick with at It's better than their real- old system. They were using flags. <laughs> They were using semaphore. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, in all seriousness, you know, this is this is the reason that they wanted it was for communication of the army in the in the in the uh, the the rebel resistance of the Libyan army. Uh, they were using semaphores. They were using colored flags to say advance or retreat. And now they can show semaphore via MMS. So that's good. <laughs> they can actually. Well, no, I mean, the this Libyan- is like super. I love these stories. I mean, this is like just this. One line here: steal a bunch of phone numbers from the Libyan General Tele- Telecom Agency. Like, that's how you know, like they're serious, and this is awesome. I mean, oh, that's, yeah. sort of, that's like that's like blue box hacking. That's awesome. The supplier remains nameless for political reasons. They don't want to get into it, uh, but apparently Huawei is not it because they refuse to get involved, and they've made that clear. So that that rules out one suspect. But just uh, yeah, and you know, it's it's the hacker spirit. Alive in in Libya, uh, helping with the rebellion. I, and that's what attracted. Should we me wildly speculate? Is it Cisco? Is it Cisco? No, I don't know. I know. I doubt it. I doubt it's Cisco. Well, there's only a handful, so it's uh, is it Nokia? Siemens they did or, airdrop no? a bunch of flips. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so awful. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, that's uh, like such callous humor. <laughs> the um, you're absolutely right, and I'm ashamed of myself. The New Zealand government has surprised the public uh, by doing something that is even more shameful than the remark I just made. Uh, They've been rushing through three-strike-style legislation during an urgency session of Parliament that was called to deal with the Christchurch earthquake. This, if you remember, when everybody's Twitter icons turned black, this was the three-strikes law that they were trying to force through Parliament back then that was then struck off the books or not struck off the books, but it was it was it was uh, it was not passed because of a huge upwelling of resistance to it, uh, because of this urgency system, which is meant to help make it easy to get aid for the Christchurch earthquake uh, passed quickly. They're able to pass the three strikes law quickly, so that there's less debate about it. And the problem with this is still it's 
three strikes as in if the copyright holder claims you've infringed on their copyright, you could lose your internet up to six months. This isn't that you actually did anything. It's that if the holder said you did. So that seems really, really harsh. And I'm trying to figure out what's a better penalty than six months off the internet? Like, do you throw these people in jail? Do you give them monetary fines? What? What's gonna... yeah. yeah, start throwing them in jail. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, this... Don't just cut off their internet. Put them in jail well, until they I mean, can look, prove their the innocence. The problem with all of these three strikes laws is that you're guilty until proven innocent. Right. As, as, as soon as somebody says, hey, that IP address infringed, it goes down on your record. And the only chance that you have to defend yourself against it is in front of a traffic court, mm-hmm. uh, which, which tells you something about the level of seriousness this really is. This is the level of traffic court. They're coming up with these, these tribunals that will rubber stamp through. And you have a chance to defend yourself and try to prove that you didn't infringe. But if you can't do that, then you're fined. And if you and if you just happen to get run through again, then you get disconnected. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine if you I don't know compare this to getting a speeding ticket, where it's like, you, you know, sometimes you can be let go on a technicality, but it's like what a hassle. Where you're like, I yeah. wasn't even on the freeway that day. What are you talking about? But you still have to contact the law enforcement agency and get somebody to sign off on it. And I mean, what a hassle for anybody um, where this is a case of mistaken identity. Yeah, well, if I lived you, in New Zealand, I would be ticked off. A private company can send your driver's, your, your license plate information. And if, you, if it gets sent in three times, then you have to go to court and prove that you weren't uh, breaking traffic laws. Exactly. And you could lose your privilege to drive over, over speeding. Or not signaling the lane change. No, Although I, I might support that for people who don't signal I mean, lane change. Just sort of <laughs> playing the other side for a second. You're going to be informed by your ISP when there is a first offense. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if all of a sudden you have three strikes against you, your internet's getting cut off, and you have no idea what happened. I mean, you do have time, as far as I understand, to go, well, wait a second. Now, why have I been... Um, have I been targeted unfairly mm-hmm. and figure out maybe what's going on. That's still, if you're not doing anything wrong though and someone's leeching off your network or whatever, that's still a lot of pain and suffering on your part. There's also, really isn't your fault. It's a, it is a lot of pain and suffering, but I think a lot of the protests here are centered around two things. And you know, I, I talk about file sharing a lot and I think copyright law is really broken when it comes to the internet. Um, but file sharing enthusiasts in file sharing protests about file sharing laws usually center around two things. One, everybody's doing this, so it should be legal, uh, which is the you know the sort of I'm speeding on the highway argument. Right. Uh, and two is oh you're gonna you're gonna ensnare so many people who aren't doing this or don't know that it's illegal or you know somebody's leeching off their network. Um, and that's sort of you know both of those cases are sort of three star- three strikes and you're cut off is way too draconian, but. Fast tracking, like you have to pay a fine because we caught you file sharing and we sent a letter to your ISP who has a record of your network file sharing sort of solves like that problem, right, of alerting grandma that she has to put a password on a network so the kids next door don't share music over it and letting people who are file sharing, which is illegal, uh, and until that is changed in some way, which is you know sort of the real problem, uh, letting people who are file sharing know that they're breaking the law, I mean... Look, you mean you speed on a highway, you get a ticket. You don't complain that speed limits are stupid. Yeah. Um, well, you can, sort of, but you still pay you a can. ticket. Yeah. Right, but that's sort of, but that's like the policy, and so this is just a really bad uh, sort of execution of policy. Yeah, but, it's it's a bad execution because of the lack of due process, because of the presumption of guilt, and I would right. argue the worst part about it is the idea of disconnecting your internet 
for copyright infringement. Right. All uh, that stuff is crazy. I yeah. mean, I'm in complete agreement there. Tim Berners-Lee at a MIT symposium was saying access to the web is now a human right. It's, it's possible to live without the web. It's not possible to live without water. But if you've got water, then the difference between somebody who is connected to the web and is part of the information society and someone who is not is growing bigger and bigger. So he acknowledges like, okay, it may not be essential to living, uh, but like electricity, it has weaved its way into our life so much that you shouldn't be able to just pull it away for something like copyright infringement. Right. Well, I mean... Right, because you don't turn off people's electricity or water because they're they're using too much of it or they're using it wrong. Yeah, um, and you know, there's or even cut off their phone service because they were using it to call people and set up crimes. Well, you, I mean, we have done that. You know, we've done that in, in this country, right? We we told Kevin Mitnick that he couldn't get on the internet again because he was using the internet and technology to to, to hack things and, and he couldn't you know, use trespass. a phone. He couldn't use a phone either, is what you're saying. Right. So, I mean, there, there, there are extreme cases of this, but bringing but that sort of enforcement, yeah. Bringing, yeah, bringing that enforcement to uh, the average consumer, because, you know, there is a, you know, I used to be a file sharing attorney and I defended college kids who got sued for file sharing. And that was ridiculous. I mean, that it really should be like traffic court, right? The consequences should be more aligned yes. with traffic court. Well, but no, the process could very much be like traffic. Oh, Sarah, we're outnumbered. We got two Isn't attorneys. Isn't that just the because the mm-hmm. copyright laws were written so long ago that it wasn't so easy to do these violations back then when these things were initially thought of? Now with the internet and everything, uh, it's so much easier to share files and 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 be accidentally, you know, a copyright inf- infringer. Like just posting right. a clip you saw on YouTube, you're like, oh, I like this. I'm putting it up. I mean. It's just because the laws themselves are a little outdated. Is is that a, a fair oh, statement? Oh, the laws are, are completely outdated. You know, uh, copyright law, it's right in the name. It's centered around copies and the act of copying. And, you know, copying a book in the 70s was hard, right? It was it was a hard thing to do. And the presumption was that most people wouldn't make copies and that the people who were sophisticated enough to make copies knew what they were doing was wrong so we could punish them. Now everybody makes copies of everything all the time. Uh, and they do it without thinking. You do it without even blinking. It's it's when you stream a file to your Roku box, you're making a local cached copy of of that file, right? And you don't think about it because it doesn't make sense. Because what you're really after is the content. And copyright law doesn't recognize that you're making all these copies in service of wanting to view the content. And until we get there, uh, until you know the law actually recognizes that it's no longer making copies that needs to be regulated but access to content yeah we're going to run into these problems over and over and over again right. and that's a long process we got an email arguing from- over three strikes or not is you know, it's, it's tangential to that real process of changing the law. In fact, Rand, Randy uh, wrote in from the Netherlands with something that, that shows the, uh, them going in the other direction there. Uh, he says, to keep it short, the Dutch government is drafting legislation to make the downloading of films and music illegal, which is legal right now. There's a lot of discussion about it, uh, and he included a lot of background information. But uh, obviously, he, he's using shortcut words here. It's not in the, that they're making any downloading of films or tv illegal there but the unlicensed downloading of them right uh illegal so it's it's going to be a long slog and it's going to take generation change is my my feeling before this actually gets yeah resolved. you know it's gonna you know the <laughs> not to disparage old white guys but it's gonna <laughs> take the you know like our generation has to become the old white guys in charge uh before people really understand before the halls right. of power understand what's actually happening and how these systems work. The old brown lawyers in charge. 
Yeah. Exactly. That, and then our kids it. will think that we're crazy because they're just beaming it holographically from their brains. All right. Real quickly, uh, Digitimes has an article today that uh, says that they've been talking to some up upstream suppliers of the th- kinds of things needed to build new things like iPhones. Uh, and they say Apple has not released a production roadmap for iPhone 5 and shipment volumes of iPhone 4 have continued to mount. Uh, so the, as far as the suppliers are concerned... They're not going to be getting a new iPhone out this summer. They'd have to know now. Uh, and it looks like the idea of an iPhone 5 coming and being announced in September uh, has got more weight now. Uh, these these suppliers are sort of the ones who know from the back end, like, hey, we'd, we'd be the ones building it. So mm-hmm. no iPhone f- till uh, fall. Well, but do you believe Digitimes? I mean, I, that's always the question. Do you believe? I do, do you actually. I, I think Digitimes has has a pretty good track record on on stuff like this. this uh, is also it's whether not you the believe the manufacturers or not that they're talking about. And in this case, I, I think they probably got good info. You don't yeah. believe I mean, them? I, Digitimes, it's it's throwing darts at the board, man. You know, they have really good sources when it comes to Samsung and MSI and. You know all the Asian companies. When it comes to Apple, it's it's always. But that's what that's why I believe them in this case is because they're reporting on the Asian suppliers, uh, right. and then they're not saying we got this from Apple. They're not saying oh it's a leaked case uh, that implies this. They're saying hey the the folks who order the parts are saying we we haven't got any orders for parts. That's true. I mean you know, but it's always we always I always think of when I tell people how to edit people how to. Write about Digitimes, it's always make sure you take, write about this with a grain of salt, just in the back of your mind, because you never know with them. It's, they mean, you know, Digitimes reports on all kinds of Apple component rumors, and it's, I think it's about 50 50. That said, I don't believe that the iPhone 5 is coming anytime soon. I think yep. they're going to wait until much later, holidays, even beyond holidays. Let's move on to the news fuse. <laughs> Someone managed to get root access to WordPress's servers at WordPress.com. Founder of WordPress, Matt Mullenweg, posted a blog post saying that potentially anything on those servers could have been revealed, which is a little unsettling considering that they don't just host individual accounts. They host accounts for, I don't know, all things D, CNN, uh, big name companies. Mullenweg suggests that users use a strong password and use different passwords for different sites. In other words, follow normal good security procedures to protect yourself. Are you a T-Mobile customer? Do you want to be? Either way, the company's rolling out some new plans for 59 bucks or 79 bucks plus a subsidized device on contract. You'll get unlimited everything, voice, data, and texting. There is a catch, though. If you go over two gigabytes of data usage, expect to get reduced speeds. That's T-Mobile speak for throttled until the next billing cycle. Unlimited, limited usage. How throttled <laughs> is throttled, I want to know. Truly unlimited. I can deal with a little throttling. But yeah. not, you know, not a full a turtle choke. crawl. Yeah, not a full throttle. Yeah. <laughs> Intel. That's a different kind of throttle. <laughs> Intel, Microsoft, and eBay all agree on something. It's a privacy bill authored by Senators John Kerry and John McCain. The bill would make opting out of tracking a requirement of sites, along with clear notice that you can opt out. Data minimalization. Companies should collect only the data they need per transaction and safe harbors for companies, amongst other things. Let me get this straight. Intel, Microsoft, eBay, Republicans, and Democrats agreeing. Dogs are sleeping with cats. Wow. Stuff, crazy stuff's <laughs> happening, man. 
Crazy stuff. Nobody wants to be tracked on the internet. That's and that's what it comes down to, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's great. Rim co-CEO Mike Lazaridis sat down for an interview with the BBC. Uh, it's the eve of the Playbook launch. They're on the media tour. Uh, but when Mike was pressed about problems Rim has been having in the Middle East and India, particularly around turning over BlackBerry network traffic, uh, you know, security issues, uh, Lazaridis abruptly ended the interview uh, with Roy McClellan saying, please... You can't use that, Rory. That's just not fair. It's not fair. Sorry, it's not fair. We've dealt with it. Come on, that's a national security issue. Then he pointed at the camera, which is an amazing move, and said, turn that off. Wow. Well, the other CEO must have all the calmness. That's a movie moment. Yeah. The oh, I mean, you got to watch this video. Go, go find it. If you, it's on the if BBC. You, uh, it's on the BBC. It is amazing. He really, you know, it's funny is the, the India security story has been, I mean, this is months. I think I wrote about it first a year ago. Yeah. Uh, that answer should be like locked and loaded, right? Because the, the answer is the BlackBerry network is too secure and the government wants access to it. And we're managing our user security, not I'm going to freak out because you question the security of the BlackBerry network. Uh, it's, you know, Rim, Rim's management has been do, kind of doing this a lot recently, kind of freaking out of people. And this yeah. is just one they're feeling the pressure. Yeah. If you would like to unlock a Sony product, Sony Ericsson has now made it possible for you to unlock the bootloader for some of its Android phones. The Sony Ericsson blog does warn that this is only for advanced users. Uh, so if you want to try out custom ROMs on your phone, go for it. If you want to try the same thing with a PS3, um, Sony's going to sue your ass off. Twitter app maker Uber Media is apparently looking into creating its own social network designed to compete with, with Twitter. The new social network would solve issues that people have with Twitter, like, you know, the length of those messages, 140 characters, who needs it? The new venture would be helpful to Uber Media since it wouldn't have to worry about running into terms of service issues with Twitter like it has in the past. So just, you know, make a competing social network that doesn't work like Twitter and you're like, golden. It sounds like a blog, like Tumblr, actually, Tumblr. Uh, PreCentral has an in-depth look at, at WebOS 3.0 thanks to a beta emulator. Since the OS is running in an emulator, they couldn't make any definitive statements on performance. However, the OS looked good, looked uh, somewhat polished, and it looks like good news for anyone who's waiting for an HP touchpad. Uh, apparently, that's like, I believe, according to analysts, 3% of them. That's Jim and uh, <laughs> Alice. Uh, as far as I know, the Razer Switchblade 7-inch Ultra Portable Multi-Touch Gaming Machine. Might not be vapor hardware. Uh, first seen at CES this year, Razer just announced that China will be the first country to get the Switchblade. Uh, now all we need to know is price, release date, specs, and when it's going to come here. Jeez. Oh, details, details. Yeah. All right, let's finish up with the self-wiping hard drive from Toshiba, a family of self-encrypting hard disk drives engineered to automatically invalidate protected data, among other situations, when connected to an unknown host. So you lose that laptop with all those email addresses on it, all that personal data of, you know, confidential WikiLeaks type stuff. When somebody takes that uh, hard drive out and tries to, to read it, not going to get anything. It's just going to wipe it over. During IT your border crossing, IT perhaps. professionals are like drooling. Yeah. Like, yes. This sounds like the worst Windows activation error ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering. It's like, Really? Like, what if I just put the wrong host in? Does it just like there's <laughs> like, got? Whoops. I was reading deep to find out like what are the safeguards about this, and I haven't seen that. <laughs> are yet. you sure? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you really really sure? <laughs> are you sure this, this is cannot the right be host? undone? This is the right host. <laughs> you're saying this is the host. This is the host you want. Okay. Do you know what you're doing? Actually, you're about to do something really crazy. And then Clippy comes up. Hey, it looks like you're trying to Hi, change would you your like host. Some help self wiping. <laughs> It looks like you stole this laptop drive. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the calendar. PSP owners rejoice. Sony's Music Unlimited streaming service is coming to you tomorrow, April 14th. 
Uh, Nintendo is cutting the Wii price to $150 on May 15th. At least that's what a trusted source is telling Engadget. I wonder why they're not waiting until E3 if this is true. If you want to be a Kinect hacker, not a problem. After May 16th, when the Kinect SDK will be released to you, and you can hack it to your heart's content and bring us closer to Minority Report land. Yay. It's a wonderful place. Where Blizzcon, advertisements track you. That's right. BlizzCon tickets are going on sale May 21st. And May 25th, there'll be a $175 apiece. So it's like a first round and a second round. They've gone up um, steadily. Uh, the first three years, they were 100 and they were 125 in 2009 and 150 in 2010. The show takes place in Anaheim, October 21st and 22nd. I hear Ozzy Osbourne will be performing, among no, others. No, he, he, he performed in the past. Oh. It was uh, two years ago. And oh, uh, Tenacious D was last year. So that, But that, that begs the question, who's going to be the big name act? Ozzy Osbourne. They'll bring him back. <laughs> I don't know. Sarah says it's Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> Start the rumor now. I was actually, it was funny. I was like, Ozzy Osbourne, really? Okay. BlizzCon. Whatever. Yeah. Okay, that was two years. He was so two years ago. Acer is expected to launch a 7-inch tablet PC in late April or May called the Iconia Tab A100, according to sources from component makers. And it's expected to be cheaper than the A500, which sounds about right, since it's smaller. And uh, this just in, it uh, looks like Sean Hollister over at Engadget has a uh, post up saying that T-Mobile uh, is denying that they officially announced any rate plans yesterday. The company uh, is announcing a new single line unlimited plan that is available starting today for $80 per month with an even more plan, no even more plus plan, even though T-Mo News has a press release that they say they got from T-Mobile. So anyway, doesn't matter who's telling the truth, apparently. No, uh, no T-Mobile unlimited plan. Ah, use Sprint. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Take that, T-Mobile. Look, just sign up for AT&T. Just get out ahead of the curve, you know? There's let's no go- point to this. Let's get to our voicemails. 260-TNT-SHOW is the phone number, and we've got a caller who wants to talk about Windows Vista. Hey, guys. This is Will from Lawrenceville, Georgia. <sighs> Look, Vista is not a bad operating system. If you don't know how to use something, don't use it. If you don't know how to hammer a nail, use a hammer. It's not not the fact that the hammer doesn't work. It's the fact that you don't know how to use it. All right. Thank you for hearing hearing my word. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. I'm glad you got that off your chest. Keep up the good work. Um, Sorry. I will not try to hammer. on a positive note. I will not try to hammer nails with my copy of Windows Vista. That was the most passionate Vista user ever. Although I, I want to know if he's still on Vista. I mean, it's, it's he must like be. been over a year now, right? I, I have to agree. Windows Vista was not horrible. It was not like, you know, we, we make jokes about Windows Me. It actually wasn't as bad as Windows Me. It was fine. It, it had to, but it was never adopted. It wasn't great. You know, the fact of adoption, adoption rates speak for themselves. Look, if you don't know how to use a hammer, Tom, stop hammering. I'm going to hit I think myself in the You've all the learned that you did, you know, it's just... <laughs> Nobody knew how to use it. Nobody knew how to hammer Windows Vista. Vista was as simple as a hammer, clearly. <laughs> yes. This is a the series call. of hammers. Let's move on to our emails. <laughs> TNT at twit.tv. Uh, Daniel Friesen wrote in, I was watching Tech News Today, episode 219, and thought about something missing from the discussion on how Bing got its numbers. Besides the points that were mentioned in the show, I believe the default search engine for Internet Explorer is Bing. 
At least that's what it seems to be like in Windows 7. I use infrequently enough, so it's almost a fresh default install. Just as Windows has high numbers because it's what comes with most PCs when you buy a PC, and the Internet Explorer comes with a copy of Windows, giving it a high share as the default browser, the fact that Bing is the default search engine, i.e., likely contributes significantly to the number of searches made through Bing. Uh, I think Daniel's probably on to something. Well... Yes and no, mm-hmm. but that's always been the case. Uh, MSN Search has always was the default in IE before Bing came around, right. and those numbers were never as big as they are now. True, true. So yes, that does give them a leg up. The way Google being the default search in Firefox and Chrome gives them, you know, those those browser stats as well. But that's not all that's going on here, or else we would have seen MSN Search before true. Bing. In such a big way. Yeah, I don't think anybody ever talked about MSN Search having yeah. that big a market share. Even though they were the default search engine when you installed IE. And then we got, we got a message from Sharif. Hey, guys, a couple episodes ago, you talked about Adobe's new subscription plan for their Creative Suite software. I has commented that it was a great idea as a subscription fee would go toward the purchase price for the software. So in essence, it was rent to own. I was intrigued by that comment, so I went to Adobe's website to find out more. Sadly, it's not true. The new subscription model is just that. You pay a monthly fee to access whatever Adobe software you're renting. You stop paying the monthly fee, and you lose access to the software. The fee does not go towards purchasing the software. So, for example, and he goes into the actual math on this, I, for one, am very disappointed as I was really looking forward to upgrading my aging CS3 software. Thanks a lot, Ayaz, for raising my hopes. But so what we ran into is, is the statement was, after you've rented it for a year, mm-hmm. you get the opportunity to buy, which is why we called it rent to own. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but so, so what exactly is going on at the end of the year? I double-checked, and speaking to Ars Technica, an Adobe spokesperson said this, and this is a quote, the subscription offering is not a payment plan. However, a customer is eligible to pay it upgrade pricing for a new version of his suite or application if they completed a one-year subscription plan or a six-month month, uh, six month monthly subscription plan, which is actually, I would think, is a much lower rate because the upgrade prices are always way lower. Yeah, than so, the so, you, full so you do get a benefit. So you get a discount. That's the rent to own, right. but it's not everything you've paid. There's some finance charges. So thanks for keeping me honest on that one. that one. All right, thanks, Neelai, uh, for hanging out with us again on TNT. Love to have you. Uh, let folks know, once again, what you're up to, where to find uh, the podcast you're doing, and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, well, well thanks for having me. Um, we're doing our new podcast. It's me, Josh, and Paul, and a bunch of other people at uh, thisismynextpodcast.com. Uh, tomorrow, 6.30 will be our next show, and then we'll be doing it weekly. So uh, come hang out with us. We'll be talking about our new site and our new project a bunch. Uh, you know, and I'll be back to bother you guys again and, and bug you. We'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely have you back, Neil. It's always great to have you on the show. Thanks to everybody for watching. Twit.tv slash TNT is the place to find us. 260 TNT show is the phone number. And TNT at twit.tv is the email address. We'll see you tomorrow.